0: Someone wise once said, concerning the gift of tongues, I would rather speak five words that could be understood than 10,000 words in tongues. Oh wait, that was the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, like, subscribe, comments, all the good stuff. This is the last episode on the book of 1 Corinthians. It's been Ooh. a fun ride so far.
1: Oh, yeah, I got a little crazy at the end of last week. So yes. much stuff to cover. Head coverings in a minute and a half. Yes. Yeah, I think you did well with the head coverings. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm, I'm going to really enjoy preaching through this. We're going to be preaching through this soon yes don't want to you know don't want to spoil anything for people Correct. but yes yes um so yeah it's going to be interesting to preach through that passage and i just think there's so much so much misunderstood i think people just kind of completely ignore chapter 11 because they're like i don't get that i don't wear head coverings so uh, what's what's this all about
0: you get those plymouth brethren who just wear them all the time yeah Crazy. yeah
1: and i mean when you go to uh you know a catholic church in like in a different country they're, they're gonna require you to put a head covering on Yep. you come in I mean you, uh, when we went to the Vatican like into the Sistine Chapel you they made put, you wear head covering they made me wear, no they made Laura <laughs> cover those shoulders head covering like it's you know it's a very serious thing Yeah. and and okay so maybe we're the weird ones but but I do think we saw how that's not specifically about the the outward symbol but it's about the reality behind it yep. which is that there's an order in creation Amen. and in marriage right
0: how, how dare the Vatican judge it? those outside the church wow. yeah
1: <laughs> crazy yeah <laughs> So, um, well, they're literally inside the church when they're. Oh, I so, forgot. I mean, if we're looking at it literally, Dang it. which of course they do with the body of Christ, right? Jesus being like, this is my body oh. when he has a body. It's like, well, that must. I've never heard a metaphor before in my life. That yeah. can't be, that has to be Crazy. completely literal. Wow. Okay, let's get into Corinthians. Let's not, <laughs> we, we could go to the Roman Catholic Church. It'd take too, many, too much time. <laughs> Corinthians, a book about a messed up group of people but how the gospel applies to their situations yes, the and how, yeah, God transforms. So the theme is the the gospel applied. Mm-hmm. So we've seen, we've gone through this this uh, different sections. Now we're in the section chapters 11 to 14, the function of the church. Yep. So that started with head coverings, that issue, the Lord's Supper, and now we're going to get into spiritual gifts nice. and love, the love chapter. Yeah. And then chapter 15, the final resurrection. Mm-hmm. Verse 16, final instructions. Awesome. So we'll kind of wrap the book up. And again, it's all it all comes down to chapter 15. Mm-hmm. So we're dealing with that problem of over-realized eschatology, that, and the resurrection is the answer to that, to understand um, the now and the not yet. Mm-hmm. What do we already have realized in Christ and what is yet to come? Mm-hmm. So we saw a little bit of that last week, but we'll see some more today. So let's get into chapter 12. Chapter 12. So the third problem that Paul is dealing with, right? the first the first two were head coverings, then... Sexual morality? No. No, no, no. That was, that was, that was a different that. section, yeah. yeah. Paul's Paul's answering these problems. So many so problems, you know, you can't yeah. count them all. <laughs> head coverings, Lord's <laughs> Supper, and now the use of spiritual gifts. Ah, yes. So um, chapters 12 to 14 will focus in on spiritual gifts. Mm. Chapter 12 focuses on the diversity of gifts in the body. Okay. And yet our unity in Christ, right? Chapter 13... Focuses on love as the unifying factor. It feels kind of out of place, but it does fit in really well mm-hmm. to this discussion of, of gifts. And then chapter 14 is on orderly worship. Mm. So, with all these gifts, how do we function in an orderly way as the church? Right. So, look at verses four, look at verse four of chapter 12. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good so many and one many and one right there's many gifts lots of diversity but there is one spirit that is working in all of it to accomplish his purpose Mm -hmm. so this is all about unity and diversity and that everyone's been given a gift for the common good Mm -hmm. remember gifts the idea of gifts in in the scripture is different from how we view gifts in the world Mm -hmm. Right, we'll say that person is such a gifted musician it means that well how how i always thought of it is well god gave them a gift so they could be awesome and they could like make money off of it or whatever yeah so it's a gift that then like i receive and i open it and i go wow look how awesome this is for me mm-hmm. well the idea of gifts in the bible is that you're given something by god that you can then bring to the fellowship you can mm-hmm. bring and give to others mm-hmm. you can bring this to the table and the meal of, of god's family right yeah. You have something to bring to others is the idea Mm -hmm. so it's a gift not for you but a gift god is using through you to bring to others Mm -hmm. so it's a a simple distinction but i think super important yeah so that's what gifts are are all about and so god's given us ways to bless other people verse 12 says for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with christ Mm -hmm. so we all have this different function we function together. Okay, simple point, but important. And then he goes on to say, well, you can't complain if God has, because God has made you a different part of the body. Being a, a body part, a member, that's really what member means, is body part, it naturally means you're limited mm-hmm. in your function. So you, you have to be content with how God has made you and the role that you play. So he says, you know, the eye shouldn't complain that it's not an ear or vice versa. And, you know, if the whole body were just a sense of smell, there'd be no hearing. So you need this balance that different giftings bring. Right, And so you shouldn't envy or, you know, be jealous of someone else's gifting. Mm-hmm. You should see that you have an important role. Right, And so, so yeah, so he gets into this a little bit, verse 18. But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So this is God's election. His His pre- He chose this for you. Mm-hmm. And he has a perfect plan. Yeah,
0: he's orchestrating it all. Yeah,
1: and he says, if all the mem- if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet yeah, one body. So this diversity is super important, and he's really harping on this. Yeah, and you he's can,
0: you can err both ways in the church. You can say like, oh, I have no place in the church, and God doesn't. You know gifted me with anything and my sense of gifting and how can I even bless and be a part of the church what can I bring to the table yeah. and then you have other people in the opposite and then think they don't need anybody else and their gifting is enough for the whole church right yeah so no
1: yeah and if you don't know what your gifting is you go oh, I can't serve because I don't know my gifting come talk to me if you're at our church right and I'll find something for you to do yeah like if that's what's keeping you from serving is this weird viewpoint that if I don't know exactly what my gifting is I can't do it mm-hmm you have something you can bring right you can bring something if you haven't dis- determined what is that thing that really fires you up the only way to discover it is by starting to serve right you know serving kids ministry and be like i really don't like serving in kids ministry <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know how this it's called i have no gifting right the kids hate me okay well let's move you from that let's have you serve somewhere else let's try you know teaching let's try um, you know maybe behind the scenes kind of service mm-hmm. but these are things that you have to explore and work at. Mm-hmm. And so everyone needs to be serving. Right. Um, so he, he he makes this point really clearly, and he says, some of you might think, okay, I want more glory. I want to be the upfront person, the person that receives some of the praise. But he says, don't you see that God's made these weaker parts of the body, the ones that are not visible, to have even more honor? Mm-hmm. This, this is how it works. And so verse 24, God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So there's this unity that's so important, and it's important to see how you fit into the function of the church. Yeah. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Now, chapter 13 kind of brings um, brings this all together in the sense of focusing on love, and it really feels like an abrupt left turn. Mm-hmm. But he's going to mention, make mention of prophecy and tongues and, and gifts right in verse eight of chapter 13 so there is connection here mm-hmm. and what i think he's doing is he's saying in order for that body to function well you need to be grounded in love I mean, this is he reminds me of ephesians chapter four mm-hmm. right you're grounded in love you're speaking the truth in love and that's how the body grows mm-hmm. and so to function well in the church you have to have love and so this is a super famous chapter but just let's reflect on the first couple of verses um, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So right away we see the connection to gifts. Mm-hmm. If I have this amazing gift, but I'm lacking love, I'm nothing. I'm just a loud noise. Not even just a loud noise. I'm an annoying noise. Yeah. I'm just I'm just taking up air. Verse 2, if I have prophetic powers, another gift, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So it doesn't matter what you can accomplish. If, you, if you've plumbed the depths of God and you have this powerful faith, if you don't love God and love others, it's all meaningless. Mm-hmm. And this is meant to move your heart to love. And then verse three, if I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Mm. So you can even sacrifice yourself no. But if you do it in the wrong heart, in the wrong motive, it's nothing. You you don't gain anything by it. Right. So what? So love is clearly distinguished as this powerful force that allows us to function well together.
0: Yeah, and it's the determining factor for the usage of gifts. Like, yeah, without that piece, any gift you have, any participation of community that you can you know give to offer is worthless. Absolutely. So it's yeah, it's it's pretty. It's totally opposite from the world, right? Yeah, totally opposite. You're only valued by what you can bring, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, n- not something else outside of that.
1: And this is encouraging too, because I mean, even if you fu- if your gifting is very humble, or I think of someone that's like disabled or something, where they can't bring much outwardly to the table, mm-hmm. maybe like no income or you know no ability to do things physically. But if you have great love in what you do, then that's that's a powerful thing. Yeah, in God's yeah. That's currency. Awesome. And so he goes into the famous section on what love is, right? Defining love. And then he he ends with saying, "Now faith, hope and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love." Mm-hmm. So, a really am- amazing chapter that is is sandwiched between chapters 12 and 14 to remind us of what is central, literally central because it's in the middle of the two. <laughs> but but what is functionally in life of the church most central, which is love. Mm-hmm. Don't lose sight of that. As much as we're studying the word and we want to have that knowledge, mm-hmm. remember it's all about leading us to love. Yeah. Chapter 14. So here we see the, the need for orderly worship. That's the focus here. So he's, he's speaking to speaking in tongues, which we've discussed before, yeah. right? Back in Acts chapter 2. Now remember, tongues was a sign to unbelievers mm-hmm. Specifically to Jews. Mm-hmm. So we see that we actually see this in this chapter, right? Verse 22. The tongues he says, Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. So tongues are meant to show God's judgment on Israel. So go back to Joel chapter two, which was quoted in Acts chapter two, right? Where he speaks about tongues, your your, you know, people speaking in tongues as a sign of the end times coming, latter days. Mm-hmm. So this was a sign to the Jews of God's coming judgment that they need to repent. Right. So because of that, tongues had a very specific function mm-hmm. for a very limited time. Mm-hmm. So it was not it's not designed by God to be something that endured forever. Mm-hmm. And we see that because of we see that I mean in in the Scripture for sure, but we also see that in early church history, yeah. where some of these guys who were apostles of the apostles, they were disciples of the apostles. They're saying, yeah, once the last apostle died, these gifts went away. Yeah. These miracles, these tongues. Um, so, to those who would say, well, you just don't have enough faith, okay, often they're the same ones who are saying we should go back to the early church. <laughs> so, um, how does that work? The church fathers are saying repeatedly, we don't have these gifts anymore. Yeah. Why would God, why would God do that? Well, I mean, Paul identifies the signs of an apostle. As these miraculous gifts right so it seems like as you put together that the apostles were a limited cohort they they had to be according to Acts chapter 1 those who had seen the risen Christ had been with him in his ministry right Paul is this weird exception to those yeah but there's no indication that the the apostolic ministry in that formal sense is going to continue beyond the deaths of those apostles right and they're called the foundation of the church right in Ephesians chapter 1 so they they play this foundational role and then that that role is done away with according to what we see in scripture and the focus on spiritual gifts that are miraculous like this are de-emphasized de-emphasized progressively as we go along in terms of the order in which the books are written right so when you get to paul's last book second timothy as he's instructing a young you know church planter Mm -hmm. right a guy who's starting these churches he on the most important things, man, he really hammers a lot on the importance of God's word, not a mention of tongues, right. Not a mention of, of miracles, of performing miracles. Uh, how, if, if these gifts were as important as what we see in the uh, charismatic movement mm-hmm. so emphasized, yeah. how could Paul not have been talking to them about the this, life, yeah, this, this uh, miraculous stuff, right? right? Instead, he's focusing on the word. Um, so anyway so the but in chapter 14 we're seeing tongues we're also seeing prophesying now prophesying is the idea of speaking God's word certainly a prophecy in scripture could be predictive mm-hmm. but very often the prophecy is just proclaiming God's word mm-hmm. so we we need to make sure we're not you know reading too much into that right. um, as to what the prophecy is that's happening here mm-hmm. but yeah like you pointed out in the intro Paul is very clear he's really diminishing the role of tongues in this chapter, okay, he's not you. yeah. Exactly. which I mean, chapter fourteen is like one of the most significant chapters for if you're arguing for the continuance of these gifts today. Mm-hmm. This is where you're going to go. But <laughs> Paul is constantly saying, I, "That's this is not as important as prophesying."
0: Right. Exactly. Verse nineteen says, "Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with the mind, with my mind, in order to instruct others." than 10,000 words in a tongue. He's yeah. he's he's appealing to the minds of people. He's not appealing to the emotions of people. You know, yeah, yeah, and
1: it's all throughout, right? Verse 5, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Um, verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages and none without meaning, but if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. Mm-hmm. So he says, the conclusion in verse 12, strive to excel in the building up yeah. of the church. So your your goal with these gifts is to build up others mm-hmm. is to bless the church and so very often in these this focus on these kinds of gifts we we miss that mm-hmm. and i i mean i've i've been to lots of different churches in my life went to a very charismatic church for a few years people were speaking in tongues or something they were doing something that they would call speaking in tongues right. but uh but yeah, the 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 gibberish kind of stuff that we see today, it's just clearly not what the scripture is talking about. It's talking about la- like tongues, just means languages.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was saved in a Pentecostal church. I was in YWAM, who's very pro that at certain bases.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we could harp on that for a while, but you you get the you get the point. Verse forty. This is the the principle of all of this. Well, I should I should back up. Verse thirty three is very important. For God is not a god of confusion, but of peace. So He's saying. Have one person prophesy, you know. Then someone can kind of judge what they're saying. D- don't let everything just happen chaotically. Mm-hmm. So, so wait and communicate at the right time. Verse forty is the principle, but all things should be done decently and in order. Yeah. So there has to be order in the function of the church. This is so important. Otherwise, people will think that God has got a chaos. Yep. Chapter fifteen. Let's let's um, kind of land here.
0: Well, this is, where, this is where Paul lands, man. This is where he yeah. wraps it all
1: up. So chapter 15, so important. So he comes back again, yet again, to the gospel, right? So verses 1 and 2. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I, I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he comes back and he says, you have to stand in the gospel and believe in the gospel. I like how he says, by which you are being saved. Mm -hmm. Again, points to the reality of there's a past tense to salvation that you've already been saved. You've been justified, as we saw in Romans. Forgiven of past sins, made righteous in Mm -hmm. God's eyes. Yeah with the righteousness of Christ, but you're also being saved. So there's an ongoing transformation that's happening. Yeah, That's so important to understand as well. Mm-hmm. So you're constantly, that's why he's constantly going back to the gospel because he believes this is what is giving that ongoing transformation, sanctification, salvation right. to them. So um, verse 3, what is the gospel? Right, he, he lays it out for us. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So that's the gospel right there, mm-hmm. according to Paul's own word. So he's he's putting it very simply. Christ died. He died for our sins. It was in line with the scripture. This sounds very much like Romans, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and that he was buried and raised in accordance with the scripture so it's all tied into the old testament scriptures and it's the death burial and resurrection of jesus yep. is there more he could say about the gospel yeah in other places he will say more about the gospel he will define it in different terms yeah but these are some of the basic elements that tell us the gospel so when we interview people in membership class we interview them we say do you or, or tell me what, what the gospel is mm-hmm. i'm looking for this kind of stuff yeah. Christ died for our sins. Yeah. In accordance with the scriptures. Like some people put it very simply. Some people try to give me like two two or three paragraphs. I'm like, hey, I just want to wanna make sure that you understand the basics of the faith. Right. Yeah. It's very important.
0: I do love but, how Paul goes to like he appeals to like the realness of the gospel that it's actually happened in history. Yeah. Because like, you know, it appeared to five thousand people, you know. Or five hundred brothers at one time, you know, with whom and then you know, he's just speaking to like the reality of that it actually happened. It's not something that's abstract, and I think it kind of continues into that. But, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So yeah, he gives the first list of witnesses to the gospel or to the uh, mm-hmm. to the resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So this is really interesting. So in terms of the the historical documents we have, mm-hmm. right? This, so this was written very early, and so yeah, this is probably one of the, the earliest lists. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting, and it's very significant in the fact that Paul is. He's taking theology from history, yeah, from historical events. And you it's hard to overstate the importance of this. Christianity is the only faith mm-hmm. that bases its entire reality, in a sense, on a historical event. Mm. Of course, like other faiths will claim historical events. But that's not like the, the hinge of their faith, the linchpin of their faith. I mean, everything hinges upon whether Christ actually was raised from the dead. Right. So So this is just massive in, in importance and shows us that our faith is grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. and so we should see it in that way. We should see it as being something that's being worked out throughout history right. and not detached from reality. Right. So we are, hist- we are historical people. Yeah. And I remember this when we went to when I was in Israel for uh, my study abroad, and we were um, we were on, staying on the, on the walls of Jerusalem. And our professor pointed out that on the Mount of Olives, there's a few different like towers. And one of them is a tower that belongs to a Mormon school. Hmm. And he's like, do you know why the Mormons spent massive amounts of money to build an entire campus out here? i are like, I don't know. Uh, because there's no archaeological evidence for Mormonism in America. <laughs> like where they, where they make the big deal, which is that, you know, this, I don't want to go into their history, but they basically just came out here and, There was very different civilizations, and he witnessed to them and all that stuff. They haven't found one shred of evidence, Mm -hmm. so they have to come out here to find the the immense amount of evidence that we have. Mm -hmm. And that distinction is so clear in terms of the Book of Mormon and the Bible. The Bible, you can go and you can find the exact place where these things happened, Mm -hmm. and often find surprising evidence Mm -hmm. that supports a name or a place or whatever, right? And so, location or something. Yeah, 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 incredible. So we have a uh, faith that is grounded in history. Yeah. Love and so it. so this chapter is all about the resurrection and like we said this is central to our understanding of this entire book. So if you like I said you go back through the book, you'll see that very often Paul is answering their questions with a resurrection answer. Mm-hmm. Don't be sexually immoral because your body will be raised. Right. Oh, wow, this is this is fascinating. So this this has uh, an impact on how we live our lives day to day. Mhm. So he first argues that the resurrection is the ground of faith, mm-hmm. right? Without the resurrection, there's no hope for us. Right. So verse 19, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Mm-hmm. If this isn't true, then we have no hope. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, I meaning there's no eternal life after this, we are of all people most <laughs> to be pitied. Yeah.
0: Especially after it's coming about the apostle's life you know yeah he's like I'm scum here yeah. so
1: yeah. I I have nothing in this world that's tying me to it so <laughs> if I don't have a future hope <laughs> yeah we should, I mean like I'll say in verse 32 if but they're not raised let us eat drink and you know for tomorrow we die yeah, yeah. that's the that's the old old phrase right let us eat and drink let's just indulge the body if that's what this is about mm-hmm. but but no there's there is hope beyond this because Christ has been raised yeah So he gets into a theology of resurrection. And then again, there's just so much here. It's like depressing that we won't be able to touch on all of it. But he talks about the first fruits in verse 20. Mm -hmm. Christ is the first fruits of those who have died or fallen asleep. And so the idea there is that when you do a harvest, you would get that first bit of crop. And that first bit of crop at the very beginning of the harvest was a sign that you were going to get the rest of the harvest. Mm -hmm. And so that's what Jesus is for us. He's that first one raised from the dead. And a guarantee and a picture of what's coming after, and so we're going to be in a body just like His. Yeah, resurrected and glorified. Yeah. We see again that the the first and second Adam, mm-hmm. and this idea of that we're going to be resurrected like Jesus, who is the second Adam, yep. and and he gets into the nature of the resurrected body as well. Verse thirty five is sort of a snarky question that someone's asking. You know, someone asks, "How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come?" Right? So he's, this is not a sincere question, but he responds in verse 36. says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body to be but a bare kernel. So the idea here is what you plant in the ground when you die and are buried. It's a picture of planting a seed. Mm-hmm. He's saying that body is going to sprout up. It's going to change, be transformed into something Different. Yeah. So, like an acorn contains an oak tree, mm-hmm. our bodies contain the potential for this resurrected body, in a sense, right? Of course, it's God's power. I'm not trying to say it's it's us, but right. that's the whole idea: is that something is going to come that's going to be glorious, yeah. and so we have no idea what it's that's going to totally look like. Different than what we're looking at yeah. like now. Yeah, something's so much better, but it will be just it'll be real. I think it'll be more real yeah. than what we have now. Hmm. Verse 49. We'll skip ahead here. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So we were made like Adam, but we're going to be made like Christ. So d- details, I don't know, but that's going to be fantastic. It's going to be incredible. No. And so he ends with this amazing speech about the, the, fu- the final death of death. Mm-hmm. Right, The death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And he says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. So death is going to be done away with. And the implications for this are in verse 58, right? There's therefore here. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So conclusion, work hard. Mm-hmm. Because this life... That the, the true things done for God will endure into the next life. Mm-hmm. The resurrection will make all things new. So what you do actually matters. Mm-hmm. And so you see how he's undermining all of their false beliefs about how their sin and their good works don't matter. Mm-hmm. No, they do. They endure mm-hmm. right. by God's grace. So And then we see at the end, of course, some final instructions, his typical kind of ending. But that's that's 1 Corinthians in a nutshell.
0: Awesome. Love it. Encouraged. Encouraged. Well, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week, and we will start the book of 2 Corinthians. We'll see you then.